Hi, friend. This is Alex McRobbs, founder of the Mindful Life Practice, and you're listening to the Sober Yoga Girl podcast. I'm a Canadian who moved across the world at age 23, and I never went back. I got sober in 2019, and I realized that there was no one talking about sobriety in Dubai and Abu Dhabi, so I started doing it. I now live in Bali, Indonesia, and full-time run my community, The Mindful Life Practice. I host online sober yoga challenges, yoga teacher trainings, and I work one-on-one with others, helping them break up with booze for good. In this podcast, I sit down with others in the sobriety and mental health space from all walks of life and hear their stories so that I can help you on your journey. You're not alone and a sober life can be fun and fulfilling. Let me show you how. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Sober Yoga Girl podcast. I am super happy to be here today. I have a guest with me, Ali Cates, who is joining from California, and she is a certified trauma coach. And before we get into Ali's story, I just want to mention something quickly, which is that we've started a new free Sober Curious Yoga Facebook group. If you have not already joined the group yet, you should definitely get in there. We have like almost a thousand members already and really amazing community and connection and sharing. So check it out. I'll put the link in the episode description. And without further ado, we can get straight into it. So welcome, Ali. How are you today? I'm good. How are you today? It's been such a full day. I know you're just starting your day and I am ending my day. So this is such a perfect way to end my day. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. And it's it's so cool. It's the wildest thing. So for you, it's Tuesday night. And for me, it's Wednesday. Like I'm about to have lunch after this call on Wednesday. So that's so cool. I love it. I love the technology. (laughs) And the sober social media, Instagram world, and like the friends you can make and connect with around the world. It's just so cool. It's so amazing. It's so supportive. And I feel like that's what you need when you're going through this journey is people that are doing the work with you to unlearn the conditioning of alcohol and learn how to be sober in your life. So it's so fun to connect Alex. Absolutely. Yeah. So I was wondering if we could start off and you could tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your story. Yeah, of course. So I actually started drinking when I was 13. I had been through some traumatic incidences in my life, in my childhood. And I think that what happened, or not I think, I know that what happened is that those things started to come up. And I remember just feeling like, I kind of want to disconnect from my body. I don't feel safe anymore. And other people are trying this thing called drinking, so I'm just going to try it. And I remember at 15, actually getting heavy into drinking and ending up getting alcohol poisoning, ended up in the emergency room. It got so bad that, yeah, it was so bad that the ER doctor had told my dad, like, we need to do an MRI or a C it was a CT scan of her face because I had this black and blue thing, right? Or black and blue bruise across my entire face. And they thought someone took a baseball bat to me and raped me. And I remember saying like to my dad, I remember saying, actually that already happened. And I was drunk, right? I was like out of my mind. I don't remember saying that my sister told me this later on, but what hit that like turning point in my life of, you know, not at the time realizing that I was trying to leave this earth, right? I was trying to like leave by drinking was that I had been raped when I was 15 and I had lost my virginity. 
And it's something I've actually never talked about before. <laughs> so you are the first person live. It's been always someone that I've, I've, I've always wanted to share this part of my journey. And I've always been kind of hesitant to share it. But I remember that night being like, I'm so lost. I don't know what else to do. And I went down this rabbit hole of drinking, right? My parents were getting divorced. I was scared, got alcohol poisoning, and nothing really seemed to change. Like we moved three hours away to the Bay Area. So I had to like restart my life over again. And of course you're like 16 and everyone's drinking. So you're the weird girl that's like been, you're grounded for a year because you had alcohol poisoning, just moved into a new town and you also don't drink right now. And everyone's like, what is your deal? So then I was like, oh, it's fine. I don't have a problem. I'm going to continue drinking, kept drinking, kept trying to shove away my pain, my trauma from my childhood and from my teenage years. And I never really felt safe. Went to college, was like not really partying because I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this again. I've done this in my like high school years. I don't want to do this again. And then like went on semester at sea, you know, semester at sea where you like travel the world on a on a cruise yes. ship. Yeah. So yeah, fun. Yeah. And I remember there was like a time where in that time period when I was like 19 to 21, I would throw up in my bed. Like I would get so sick and so blacked out that wow. I would throw up in my bed and think this is normal. Everyone does this. I'm sure you have like, you know, you're, it's so normalized that we drink to excess. Right. And I remember it wasn't until, so then fast forward, right. Years of drinking, anxiety, trauma coming up, past pain, like all of the things I'm getting like so anxious, depressed about it. We, my husband and I also had seven really pe- people that were close to us die in a span of two and a half years. So those brought up all this repressed stuff that I had forgotten about. And I just kept on being like, I need a numb and I need to cope and I need to do this stuff. And I wasn't your typical alcoholic. I didn't drink every night, but I binge drank and I drank like the purpose behind my drinking was to escape so deeply. Right. And I remember, <laughs> I can tell you the date. <laughs> It was December 8th, 2018. It was six months before my husband and I got married. It was Santa Con in San Francisco. I was drunk as a skunk and I like lashed out at my fiance now husband. And it was just kind of like, Allie, you can't do this anymore. You can't keep on pretend or not pretending, but I was reacting out of my past hurt, right? Like my past trauma was starting to get in the way of my present for so long. And I'd been going to like deep somatic therapy for three years up until this point. And every time I would kind of tell my therapist about these like drinking nights or drinking journeys, he would just look at me and be like, do you think that's healthy? Like, do you think that that's healthy for you? And I'm like, yeah, I don't have a problem. And then it was that day where I was like, oh, no, 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 I have a problem this is not okay. And like, when I look back, the more years I get under my sobriety, when I look back, I'm like, holy shit. I downplayed it so much. I didn't tell people how bad it was. I didn't, I didn't allow people to see how bad it was because I was like, Oh, it's not that bad. Everyone's like this. Everyone throws up in their bed. Everyone like gets this drunk. Everyone has this much trauma and they drink. Right. So I suppressed it down for so long. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing us with sharing with us that story. Like I know it's really vulnerable and, and I really appreciate you opening up and yeah, of course. I mean, I've wanted to share that part of my journey. I'm a pretty open person and 
you know, I think what happens so often is we start to cope in these ways that we are taught how to do, right? Like I had a friend that had the same thing happen to her. She took up drinking as well. And it's like, you don't know any different until you know different, Mm -hmm. right? And then you go to college or you're in high school and you're surrounded by this drinking culture and you hear stuff happen to girls, right? They get sexually assaulted, they get raped and they don't have the space to really talk about it or to function through it. So then instead it's like, let's do the drugs. Let's do the alcohol. Let's escape. And it's not just me, right? Like it happens to so So many many women. And it's because we, yeah, it's because we don't, we don't know that like, okay, in order to protect ourselves, we have to feel out of body because we don't feel secure in our bodies anymore after that happens. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm happy to share that. I really think that, you know, this is bigger than me sharing my story and I've kept it in for (laughs) 29 years. So I've, you know, close friends know about it, but I think it's, it's really important to advocate and share that with women that like, if you are drinking because you're trying to feel safe in your body, because you feel so unsafe from something that's happened, like that's something to look at. Tearing up as you say that it's just, (laughs) and it is so true that it's so common. Like I, I just remember from my teenage and university years, like there was just so much terrible stuff happening to women because everyone, it's like not an excuse, but everyone is out of it when they're drinking and and people are drinking to excess and making horrible, horrible decisions. Yeah. I was drugged. Like they put the, and I was 15 and he was 18 and it was like, you know, and I think what was like, not easy about it. That's the wrong word to use, but I didn't have to go back and see him because I left the city that we were in. Right. So I moved three hours away. So I kind of was like, oh, I can reinvent myself. I can be this different person, which of course I was the same, but like all my my stuff didn't come with me. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I, my heart goes out to those women that have to go back and see the person that hurt them. That see the person that took advantage of them. You know, like if someone is drunk, (laughs) do not have sex with them. Like, And don't also like, there's just so much, right. We could go down a rabbit hole, but so what really shifted for me was in my journey of sobriety, that day that I got sober, I had been living so outside of my body. Right. And I've been doing somatic therapy. So I've been working with a somatic practitioner for three years leading up to when I got sober, because all of my stuff came up really hard one day, like so hard, like all that trauma, there's a couple of things that I also don't share publicly, but just all of that stuff from childhood, et cetera. And it was the next four months that I had never been that I'd never lived that deeply in my body. And that was when I got diagnosed with late stage chronic Lyme, mold toxicity, all of these wow. things that we were kind of talking about before. And I think the reason why I'd been in chronic pain for years, I was misdiagnosed for 15 years from Lyme. And I just had endometriosis surgery in September. Like, you know, that's a whole other story is the medical part of things. But I think what happened was, is that because I was creating that safety again in my body, because I wasn't numbing out on alcohol and other things, 
it allowed me to be like, oh, something is really off with you. Something is really off with your physical body and you need to advocate for yourself. And so it was this interest. It's been this interesting journey of like getting back inside my body and learning that these symptoms and these feelings that I feel are actually not normal. And so what was when you, like you mentioned that you were doing some somatic work, but what were your main tools? Like when you went alcohol-free, did you do it alone? Did you have a community? Like what were your tools in place? Yeah, such a good question. I think that AA is incredible. I've never been, I've had family and friends go and they've just talked about it, but I was really lucky in that my husband and I got sober at the same day. So the same day we were like, okay, we're not doing alcohol anymore. And so it was nice because I had this like built-in support where we were in it together. We were navigating, we were engaged, right? So I went through my bachelor party sober, went through our rehearsal dinner, wedding, honeymoon. We were in Thailand for a honeymoon. Like, and it was so, I know. I just (laughs) get shivers because you think of these special occasions where you miss them because you're drinking. And I just think it's so beautiful that you guys had that together. Sorry for interrupting you. <laughs> you can go I on. Love it. Thank you. No, it is really nice. It's really enjoyable because I look back at like friends' weddings that I have been in and I'm like, I don't even remember standing up with them or like the party or anything afterwards. Cause you're just like, it's the culture. You just get hammered, you know? And so, yeah, it's really nice. Cause I look back at our wedding or our honeymoon and I'm like, Oh, I can remember those things for the most part. You know, I was really sick right before our wedding is when I got diagnosed, but yeah, it's just so nice. Like I'm like, Oh, I remember my bachelor party and my bridal shower and all these things. Like, it's really, really nice to look back and be like, good job. 25 year old Allie. (laughs) (laughs) That's so amazing. So you had him and was, did you use any other sober communities or I did not. I actually had a mentor that had been He'd had like a 30 year sobriety under his belt. And so I was seeing him every week just for mentoring. And so he was a really great resource. Let me think, what else did I do? I mean, I was doing the somatic therapy. I think what also helped me was like trying to find these different techniques that really helped me create a safety in my body. So like yoga, breath work, meditation, Pilates, I took up running for one point because I was like, this helps me like stay in my body. You know, it was, it was trying to figure out how to create that safety again, because I think for so many of us that do struggle with alcohol and are alcoholics, it's like, we are trying to escape something. Right. And Mm -hmm. so creating that safety, having that ritual in your life is so key. However, that works. If that's a, a sober community online or, you know, whatever, whatever your thing is, right. Everyone's different. Yeah. Totally. And I had another question for you. I forgot what I was going to ask you. Oh yeah. Okay. So when did you become a trauma coach? Was that something you were doing before all of this? Like what was your background before um, getting into coaching? Yeah. Great question. (laughs) I thought that I was going to be a sports agent when I got out of college. Wow. (laughs) So what was your degree in? My degree was communication major and a double minor in marketing in Spanish. So I was like, I'm going to be the next Aaron Andrews. You know, (laughs) I was like, this is my game plan. And then, you know, I got out of college, somehow ended up in produce and like the supply chain buying. I was a buyer for a while. 
literally didn't know a lick of anything supply chain. I'm like a scrappy human being. You give me a task and I'll like eventually figure it out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You're like, I know what you mean. (laughs) And then when I got sick, I was actually working for a nonprofit in the Bay Area that I absolutely adored. I was like, this is it. Because I always had this deep knowing that I wanted to help people Mm -hmm. in a way. And I, and I didn't know what, how that was going to play out. I, um, when I went on semester at sea, I went on semester at sea because I was the president of a club that supported an orphanage in Ghana, Africa. And so the whole reason I went on SAS was to go and see this orphanage in person and, you know, being supporting that orphanage throughout college. I was like, I want to help people, but I also want to be a sports broadcaster. So I'm not really sure how this works. So fast forward, at a nonprofit, absolutely love it, get sick with late stage chronic Lyme. So then after we got home from our honeymoon, I sat in an IV room, had a port put in my chest and I sat in the IV room three to four times a week, six to eight hours a day, trying every single damn thing under the sun for Lyme. And I just got sicker and sicker and sicker. And on my good days, right? I had six months of sobriety under my belt at this point. And on my good days, I would tell myself like the universe is breaking you down to lift you back up, Allie. Like something, something is shifting here. Right. And I just kind of walked out of the IV room. I was there for nine and a half months. Nothing ever shifted, got worse. And I just remember thinking like, I want to help people go through grief. I want to help people go through hard times. I want to help them move through this because we had lost seven people in two and a half years. And every time we went back to their funeral, their celebration of life, I saw the difference of when people were able to cope effectively and move through their grief versus when they didn't have the tools to do that. And I was like, why don't we have more knowledge and space about this? So then I went down this kind of like, path. I was like, you know, a lot of people have trauma. (laughs) A lot of people don't know how to work through it. And instead they turn to unhealthy coping mechanisms. So like, what if I can support them to try and find healthy coping mechanisms? So that's how it started. I would never pictured my life to be this way. I never thought I'd be a trauma coach. (laughs) Never thought I would be talking about it. You know, like never thought I'd be putting some myself out there and my story out there to help other people, but we're here. (laughs) So amazing. And it's funny the way life ends up. Like if you had asked me if I would be a sober coach, like five years ago, I would be like, no. (laughs) And it's just funny the way you just end up. It's almost like sometimes your life purpose just finds you, you know, like it just appears in front of you. 1000%. And I feel like the more that you stop, I'm curious if you go this way, like the more that you stop pushing it, it just falls into place when you're like, I'm just going to let it flow and it's going to happen the way it's going to happen. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So what does a trauma coach do in comparison to like a counselor or a, a therapist? Like what's the difference there? Yeah. Great example. Great question and examples. So a trauma coach is there to really just be a support And to also in trauma coaching, we look at the person as a whole, right? Like you are whole, you are complete on your own. And it's really about helping you create that safety. It's like, it's almost like I'm your buddy. I'm walking alongside you. I'm helping you learn these coping techniques and these strategies also so that you can learn how to be safe again, so that you can learn how to be in your body. And where I think, you know, I've been to many years of therapy, talk therapy, EMDR, 
psychotherapy, tapping, done all of it, (laughs) done all of it, connoisseur and all mental health here. (laughs) And I really think that, you know, what works for one person might not work for someone else. And so that's where trauma coaching can really come in is like, what are the tools and techniques that really resonate for you? Because often we kind of like try on what other people do and then feel so thrown off when it doesn't work. It's like trying on someone's pair of jeans and you know that they're not going to fit you because jeans are damn hard to fit into, you know, like every, Mm -hmm. everybody type different, right? Girl, men, they like all of it. And that's where I think trauma coaching really comes in. It's like, I help empower people to be like, okay, let's try on these techniques. Let's do this. Let's set up a foundation for your life so that you can build a beautiful home, step into your confidence and invite people over to dinner, feeling confident and secure in your body again. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's a great example. And you know, something I really love about, so I'm a coach as well. And I've also done a lot of therapy and something that I really love about coaching is that I feel like I feel really connected to the fact that coaches, I feel are more authentic. They're able to be more authentic in their experience just by nature of like the industry. Whereas in therapy, there's more of like this expectation of a boundary. And so I always felt that I was going into therapy and I was sitting with someone who like was born knowing all the answers to life to heal me and just were telling me them, you know? So I had no idea that some of the people I was getting therapy from were you know, also had struggles, also had mental health challenges, also had trauma, also had drinking problems, you know, like there was just this boundary where I felt really disconnected from them. And I think that's a really valuable thing about like, you know, if I were to come see you and I know like you've, you've been through this and you've found strategies that have worked for you. And that's why you're doing it because you want to share it with people. And I think there's something that's so, just inspiring and like, and, and beautiful about that, you know, that I think really differentiates therapy from coaching in a a way that resonates with me, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Totally. 100%. I think too, is that like, I'm not sure about you, but I'm such a logical, like I'm sure you are. I'm such a cerebral person. I'm such a heady person. And I think most people are, I'm curious, are you, are you like a heady person? You like stick in your head and you're like trying to logically work things out. Yeah. 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 I would, because I think some people are also like body people, like they feel it out. They're more intuition driven. And I've had to learn how to be more body driven because I've like logically worked everything out in my head. Mm -hmm. And I remember going to therapists and them telling me this exact line, like, Hey, Allie, I think you figured it out. Like, I actually think that you don't need me anymore because you know everything that I'm telling you and you're doing everything that I'm telling you. But what those therapists didn't see was me struggling, me drinking to excess because I I wasn't figuring it out. But they were all telling me like, you got it. You're like really logical. You understand what's going on. You understand you're using the tools and the practices that we're using, right? To help you. And like, you should be fine by now. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I should be fine. You know, like there was this disconnect for me and I tried, you know, hypnotherapy, EMDR, I said it like psychotherapy, all of these things too. And I think the reason why that happens is because people don't have a foundation, like a sturdy foundation to figure out what works for them to have the knowledge base. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm passionate about is just helping people be like, okay, what's my knowledge base? What resonates for me? How do I build confidence in my life? You know, and I'm sure you're the same way. Like coaches love to do that. Like let's start at the beginning. 
and yeah. build that confidence up. You know, it's yeah. like building a house. We gotta start at the foundation before we can put on the roof. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so tell me about what do you do? Like, how do you work with people? What do you, what offerings do you have? Do you work online? Do you do in-person things? Like, what do you have going on? Yeah. So when I originally started out, I was going to do live in-person events, but then COVID hit. And I was like, yeah. just kidding. We got to pivot. So right now I have a online course and a community. So everything is hosted on Zoom. I have actually people in like across the world. I have people in Thailand, which is cool. So that is what I offer right now, but obviously would love to do in-person events when we can reopen fully. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's so cool. And you have people like all over and what do you do in your community? Do you have like group coaching, regular circles? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. So it is a course. It's a self-paced course. It's called Emotional Health Accelerator. And inside the course, you get access to live coaching calls. And then we also have opportunity for one-on-ones. We have a community page of just other self-healers that are doing this work to unlearn things and learn new things. Because as you know, too, you have the same thing, right? Community is so important when you're going through stuff Mm -hmm. like this. Totally. Yeah. Oh, that's so amazing. I'll definitely have to check that out. I'm, I'm really at a phase right now in the mindful life practice where someone described our community as like basically a self-help menu, which I really loved. And I feel we're at this phase now where we're drawing in so many additional things. Like we have a hypnotherapist. Now we have a psychic, we have someone doing like narrative medicine, which is like writing about trauma. And so we just have like a ton of different things going on. And so we should definitely talk about how we could collaborate with this because I know it's like a really, as we're talking about, it's a really common story, right? Is like people suffering from trauma and coping with alcohol because we're not equipped with the tools to cope. And so I think there's a real kind of, there would be a real need and interest for it with, with the MLPC. I love that. I would love to collab. Amazing. That would be amazing. Yay. All right. I have one more question for you. So I'm wondering if someone were asking you for wisdom or advice about starting out on an alcohol-free journey, what advice would you give them? I would say to get curious, like get curious with yourself, get curious about what's coming up for you to have a sober life or an alcohol-free life. Mm -hmm. And have other people in your life that are doing this work as well, because it's so hard to do it alone. You know, we don't heal solo. <laughs> we heal in a group setting. So make sure that you have that support system of, you know, people that are also sober with you. And my number one tip I tell people when getting sober is like Waterloo, like sparkling water uh-huh. at Waterloo sponsor us. <laughs> sponsor this podcast. But sparkling water is everything. I remember I was such a champagne gal. <laughs> yes, that was like my drug of choice. And I remember just being like, I miss something more than just the champagne, like and what it gave me. And it was the right. bubbles, it was the carbonation. My husband was a big beer drinker. And so he was like, oh, this has completely changed our life. We might be addicted to Waterloo now, but hey, <laughs> I'll take that. Addiction. <laughs> of alcohol. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's really good advice because one of the things I have been, I mean, I've gotten used to it now, but in Bali, there's no alcohol-free alternatives, which is okay because I think I was too addicted to those. Like we got a really great 
store that opened up in the UAE drink dry. And I was like, you know, making all my mocktails and my wine and my beer. Um, so fun. Yeah. And so now in Bali, there's like really nothing, which is probably good for me because I was like, that was my new addiction, but sparkling water. That's a great suggestion for me to just have something in the fridge. That's oh, different so than just plain water that I could enjoy. So yeah, it's so good. I can't do the mocktails. I'm like, it, no. it, yeah, no, I can't do it. I, my mom got me this book of like how to make mocktails that like still taste like the alcohol. I'm like, this is just too, I can't do it. This is yeah. like, it's too much for me, but I think it's really great that there are so many options, like that there are Mm -hmm. like C-Flip and there's like a couple other brands that I know that are non-alcohol spirits. I'm like, that's great. I think that our world, hopefully, is shifting more and more into, you know, being sober curious and sobriety because- I think it totally is. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's a lot (laughs) to just go out and be like, let's get a drink. Like, can I just get a mocktail or like something (laughs) else, you know? (laughs) (laughs) totally yeah Ali it was so amazing to finally meet you and and sit down and chat and connect and and hear your story and I just think the work that you're doing in the in the world for other people moving through trauma and healing and and growing is just super inspiring so thank you so much for for taking your time to be on the show really appreciate it thank you so much for having me it's been such an absolute pleasure I'll see you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. Hi friend. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of sober yoga girl podcast. This community would not exist without you. So thank you for being here. It would be massively helpful if you subscribe to this show and leave a review so that we can reach more people. And if we haven't met yet in real life, please come hop on Zoom at the Mindful Life Practice because the opposite of addiction is connection. Sending you love and light wherever you are in the world.